That's why my book is called Not Quite a Memoir, because I go back and forth and it's two stories. It's my grandfather's story and my own story and weaving them together in a way that's coherent to people that don't know me, don't know my family. Is it going to be interesting? And I think there's so many universal truths that I was able to uncover um, as it related to family dynamics. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Quick update. That won't be included in the YouTube version of this week's episode. I am so incredibly grateful to have two new patrons, Jen L. and Carol W. Actually, I think I give your full names at a different episode. So this may be the second thank you. But for everyone who's listened, who's shared this and who gives me ratings or reviews sometimes. This is all so helpful. I adored getting to meet Debbie Russell a long time ago as she was looking at to how she wanted to publish her memoir and to have her as this week's guest is fabulous. This was pre-recorded before her book came out and then we held off on releasing it because she was doing so much else to publicize it. So this is a little bit older. We made this episode a few months ago, but the thank yous to my new patrons are very, very recent. I hope you're all enjoying your summer. It's 2023 July by the time this is getting released. And it is hot and beautiful where I live, and I hope it's not too hot where you live. Thanks always for those who write, who ask questions. One person asked, why don't I, it was someone I was related to, uh, why don't I move the camera around and film the YouTube version of the podcast in a different place? And it's because it takes so long for me to set up uh, the camera and get everything just so... <laughs> Uh, because of the non-tech person that I am. So it's always going to be in the same place. But uh, anyway, if you see me on YouTube, you'll see. In the backdrop is a fireplace that I actually never use, but I like it. If you have questions, comments, concerns, I'm at lameredith.com. Hop onto my weekly email and please be patient because I tend to run behind. I am now doing true crime interviewing, coaching, uh, speaking gigs are picking up a little bit, and retail on Saturdays. I mean, I am basically working all the time at stuff that I so enjoy, but I'm a little bit behind the eight ball as of right now. Looking forward to Grounded in Grit, the ARC being sent to me soon. And it is, my new book is set to be released August 11th. And I am looking forward to it. What are you looking forward to? And what episodes have most resonated with you most recently? That's something I'd love to know. Thanks for being here. And I will see you on the other side of this interview. Bye-bye.
marketers. So if one was going to listen to this, this is by Novel Marketing Podcast, Thomas Umstead Jr. And he talks about new uh, writers and often people will say, well, I'm too old to start writing or I'm too old to travel. I'm too old to whatever, fill in the blank, start running, um, start hiking. Anyway, he talks about specifically older people and the advantage that we have after a certain age as authors and, you know, the fact that there is no age too old to start writing. And then he gives some great ideas for how to launch into writing. And that is true for any age. So his ideas were brilliant, but just how to get started and get on the right track quickly and yet never, never, never trying to write a book super fast unless you have a, I hate to say it, but a very short life window ahead of you. That would be the only time. But for the most part, he talks about taking your time to enjoy learning the craft of writing and how that's important at every age and the ways to do it. I, as a peak, I have the podcast supported by some of you as uh, buy me a coffee through that link, you know, leaving a tip to buy me a coffee. And thank you so, so, so much. I really cannot thank Christine enough recently for buying me several coffees. Also, as a patron, some people can pay two to five dollars a month or pick a membership amount to become a patron. Through my patron page, we'll have a series of conversations. Last month's patron conversation was on how to leverage your love of reading and learn to review books and maybe even turn that into a paid side hustle. So that's in the patron library. This next month will be on get started writing your story and the things that are going to be really helpful to get started and keep moving forward and enjoy the writer's journey should you wish to as a hobby, as a legacy for family or as a second career. So anyway, join me on my patron page if you like to be a part of this growing library. It helps me so much. And frankly, it's kind of fun. So I'm going to introduce you to Debbie Russell in just a moment. Thanks for being here as ever. Life is going well here in East Tennessee and got lots of cool things going on. Maybe we'll chat a little bit more at the end of the podcast, but I can see that Debbie is waiting and I want to introduce you to her. Thanks again for being here. Debbie Russell, it is so wonderful to have you on Persistence U today. Finally, after all this time, how exciting to have you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I'm really, really happy to be here. I'm thrilled for you because it's, you know, I've been watching your journey and I know how excited your book is going to be released next month, but we'll talk about the story behind the story first. And just for the listeners to know or watch viewers, if you're on YouTube, we may have bandwidth trouble today. We have storms in Tennessee, actually, and Debbie is in a rural place where there isn't a great bandwidth. So we're going to do our best. So hang with us, hang with us. Cause if we drop off, we'll come back. <laughs> Debbie, thank you for being here. And tell us a little bit about your life before you decided, Hey, I want to, I want to be a writer because you were a lawyer prosecutor, correct? And I was. Yes. Do tell, do tell a little bit about your life and your family life before you're like, Hey, it's time for me 
to really untangle the web of family issues? Well, I can tell you, Elizabeth, that I am what they would call a classic overachiever. So I I went to college. I wasn't sure after college what I was going to do. I kind of did a few things. And then I decided, well, I guess I should go to law school. And so I went to law school. And I it wasn't a real good fit to start with. And then I took a criminal procedure class And I realized that's where I want to be. I want to be in the courtroom. I want to be talking to juries. And most importantly, I want to be uh, advocating on behalf of crime victims. And so I was able to kind of finally get my what do I want to be when I grow up moment figured out. And I was very fortunate in that I was offered a clerkship with uh, the county attorney's office in Minneapolis, other states call them district attorney's offices. Um, But I went in right out of law school and they finally hired me full-time permanently about a year later. Um, But I have to interject here that one of the reasons I took that job at the age of, I think it was 29, is it was a government job that offered a pension. And I honed in on that pension. And from the time I started, I had the goal to retire. And I use that word very, very loosely, but be done with that job at age 55, which was the first opportunity to collect a pension. And it it was one of those things where you get a little pension and then you get a bigger pension if you stay until you're 62 and you get the biggest pension if you stay till 65 or 67. But for whatever reason, at that tender age of 29, I knew I would want to be doing something else when I was 55. So I just started saving, 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 saving. Mm-hmm. and. I had a decent career there. I I very much um, was passionate about the work. What I did not recognize until about 2014 or 15 was the toll that it was taking on me. Um, And they call it secondary trauma. And it's one of those things that when you're in it, you don't recognize that you're in it. And I just went to work every day and I'm a pretty passionate, enthusiastic, vigorous person. And I just went in there and I fought my fought my fights and I did battle in court and I was addicted to all the adrenaline that courtroom litigation brings. Oh my gosh. And I just, I went on and on and on and on. And I had some really big meaningful cases, some big media cases. And then all of a sudden, you know, 2014, 2015, it started to all catch up with me. And I was no longer able to compartmentalize my work and things with my family were starting to spiral a bit. And and I could just feel everything starting to crash, but it, but I just kept going. I just kept going, kept going, kept going. And 
I, you know, I was able to, I mean, from 2015 to 2020 was only five years and 2020 was when I was able to realize my retirement goal. So when you're in the home stretch of anything, you can kind of keep your eye on the, the end and, and say, I can do this. I can do this for five more years, but then all these other things happened, um, that I, that I write about in, in my book. And it's just this idea of who am I and who do I want to be? And am I this person that I have been for decades? So, and, and I think for people who don't work with governments too closely, they may not understand being a, in the government line of work in as being an attorney, that is a job and a half. I mean, those, you rarely get a weekend off. You're working long, long days. You're going out to crime scenes in the middle of the night. You're leaving family dinner and you may be gone till the wee hours of the morning. And you're making a fraction of what your private other attorneys are making. They're making an amazing hourly. And sometimes depending on the county or the state or the city, Man, that, that mean, it's barely a living sometimes. So you have to be passionate about it. But like you said, the, all those cases, all those victims, all those photographs that you've absorbed are really, really, really going to catch up with you someday. So how was it then that you started, you had the vision to retire, as you say, quote unquote, retire, because you knew you wanted a second career in a sense. I mean, there was a, even if it wasn't a knowing, there was a subconscious knowing that you wanted to do something different. What started happen with family that you wanted to dig deeper and get into your family of origin issues? And it's almost a genealogy in a way that, you know, so tell us a little bit about that transition. Well, it, it, it started back in 2005 when I had, um, come into possession of this very interesting file folder of letters that my grandfather, my dad's father, had written when he um, voluntarily admitted himself to a federal drug treatment program. And I remember at the time in 2005, when I was 40, seeing these and just being super excited about them and also really perplexed as to why they'd never been talked about. And, and, you know, there was this whole story that to me was very inspiring and interesting. And even back then I thought, I want to make this into a book. I think this is a story in and of itself. And I remember talking to my dad a little bit about it. And then I, I think as what happens, life just kind of gets in the way. And I I kind of set it aside. But then in 2016, when my dad was accepted into hospice, that was kind of the, it was the wake up moment where I knew he wouldn't be with me that much longer. And this is his side of the family. And I started to become almost desperate to try to make sure I knew everything about him, everything about this story with my grandfather. And one thing just kind of led to another. And I was just, I love to research. It's one of my very favorite things to do. 
And all of a sudden, I'm going down these rabbit holes. I've joined Ancestry. I've located all these relatives that are very interesting and have done remarkable things that I had never heard of, nor had anyone in the family heard of. And, you know, I think curiosity is one of the greatest gifts we can have as human beings. And it's it's one gift that I just embrace because the things that I have learned just because I was curious um, have really been remarkable. And so all of a sudden I'm cobbling together my grandfather's story and then my dad's story. And then I learned some things about my dad that n- we never knew. We right. never knew. And and so then it's th- then we shift to family secrets and why do we keep these secrets and why do we feel the shame around these secrets and the secret that i uncovered about my dad um was something that when i first discovered it it was something i kind of laughed about with my brother and with some friends it's like oh my god do you believe this but then trying to circle back with him and my mom and that generation, it wasn't so funny. It really wasn't so funny. And so that's an interesting piece about the secrets that we keep and the shame that then surrounds those secrets. Right, right. If I mean, if we don't talk about it, there must be something deeply disturbingly wrong if we're trying to cover it. So that exactly. is... So interesting. So you started, and I mean, the listeners may not realize you are, you were much closer to your dad than your mother. So getting this information and, and trying to help with his end of life is so complicated when you have a tricky relationship with your mom, who's still living, Um, you know, that factors into your story as well, but you needed desperately to get this information when did you know exactly that you were going to write a book? Like, did you just kind of say, yeah? I, well, I had always intended to write the book about my grandfather's story. I just thought that in and of itself was a remarkable story. Then as all of this was happening, I remember telling both my parents at the time, I'm, I'm going to work on a book. I'm I'm writing a book about, and of course, my dad, as he always was with anything and everything that I was doing, was delighted. He was like, well, that's, wow, how about that? And my mother rolled her eyes. Yeah. (laughs) And, and I just, there was something in me that felt like with everything that was happening in real time, and this was back 2016, 2017, and into the early part of 2018, it was so remarkable. And I began to just keep notes and just, uh, there would be times I literally felt like I was in a theater production of my own life. And so I really tried to capture things as they were happening in real time because somehow I thought this whole thing needs to be a story, but that became the challenge because most memoir is, that's why my book is called Not Quite a Memoir, because I go back and forth and it's two stories. It's my grandfather's story and my own story. And 
weaving them together in a way that's coherent to people that don't know me, don't know my family, is it going to be interesting? And I think there's so many universal truths that I was able to uncover um, as it related to family dynamics. I mean, my my grandfather was an addict. And when we talk about dysfunctional families, nine times out of 10, they are uh, surrounding an addict or a person with some sort of mental health disorder. Mm-hmm. And so I use that as a framework to try to understand that family better. And I interviewed my aunt. I talked to my dad about it. And I do think my grandfather concealed a lot of his behavior as it related to narcotics from the rest of the family, but how they dealt with it and rallied around it in contrast to how my mother dealt with my dad's decline and how my brother couldn't necessarily be involved. I mean, it just, there was such a stark difference in Mm -hmm. these two family units. And my dad was the bridge between the, his family with my grandfather and his family with us. Right. And that's the theme that I kind of decided to explore more in the book about how families deal with conflict, with stress, with trauma. You know, some, they just, they rally together and, and they work through it others blow up and, mm-hmm. and it, and it just, it is what it is. And it's based on how we've all come into this world and the experiences that we've had, you know, I'll never probably understand the experiences that my mother had as a child, as a young person that created the person that she became in my family. Um and and that's a shame but i really was able to really understand my dad and why it was that i felt this profound fear at losing him because right. it was oh my gosh this is the one person he's the one person in my life that has constantly loved me unequivocally like no questions asked no matter what i do he's that person and my therapist even said to me he was both mother and father to you and that was that was a very profound revelation i thought mhm so as you're writing it did you find a sense of peace and healing and at least some better perspective to move forward with as you did your research and released your emotions to the page, released your experiences to the page. Because you're writing about your grandfather and your father and your lives, really. And there are letters and all of that in your book. But in the end, it's your retelling of three people's stories. And, you know, so what did you gain more perspective and empathy? Do you feel like for them? Absolutely. Absolutely. And to look at my grandfather, you can look at him two ways. Oh, he was an addict. Or you can look at him as somebody who, who went 
who did what he needed to do to overcome that. Right. And, you know, when you talk about persistence, I feel like, um, you know, I originally wanted to call my book stories of resilience and persistence and love and all of those things, because that is what I learned about my grandfather and about my father, even though my father didn't do big and great things, the persistence and resilience that he demonstrated as a father and a husband in our family was remarkable. And by, by really being in the moment with him and mindful about his story and who he was and just sharing with him how proud I am or proud I was to be his daughter and to do the things in my life that I believe came from being his daughter and being mm -hmm. my grandfather's granddaughter. Those were the personality traits, the character traits that were passed down through the generations that afforded me to go out in the world and have the success that I've had. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not super successful, but I, I did a, a job for, for almost three decades. I, a I hard one, a really hard yeah, one. Yeah. And, and now I've transitioned into this new chapter of my life where honestly it's, I'm, I'm self-employed now and, and I'm, I'm figuring out how I can be of service to others in a different way than I was in my prior job. I love it. That is so exciting. Now, when I introduced your book, it had that different title. We talked about Crossing 51. Back then, it was two stories of family, love, dysfunction, and transformation. So can you read the whole title as it lands? Because maybe listeners don't, they're not all writers or you know things like that, but a lot of them are readers. People don't realize these things do change titles at the last moment sometimes too. And, you know, you may change the whole introduction. So, so can you just read out what the title is and the subtitle now and show yes. us if, for those who are watching on YouTube? Yes. So um, it is, it's still crossing 51, but I've simplified it to not quite a memoir. And part of why the subtitle for these things, as you know, is, is a tricky topic. And what when I got with my publisher, we agreed that that other subtitle felt more like a self-help book or an academic type of book. And I knew that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. And um, But again, this is not just my story. This is my dad's story. This is my grandfather's story. So I had to I had to find a subtitle that worked in a way that didn't pigeonhole it into something that where people might have expectations one way or the other about it. Right. Because so, then they get mad. Then the reader gets mad, like, hey, I thought that this was self-help. And so I'm giving you a bad review. So that's smart. Right. 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 Or academic. I think that was the other thing. Two stories of this and that sounds yeah. kind of academic. And that's that's not what I was going for either. So Good. Well, I love it. I love how it landed. the cover looks beautiful, by the way. So can you tell us, so today you and I are talking, it is May 8th of 2023. When is it going to be published exactly? Tell us about the publisher and where people can find you and your writing. 
Uh, it will be published on June 20th. Um, it is already open for pre-orders. And um, the easy way to find it and me and my blog, I do a weekly blog just about random thoughts that I happen to have about everyday occurrences. Um, my website is hyphen russell r-u-s-s-e-l-l dot com and it has information on the book um i've been very fortunate in that i've gotten some really good advanced reviews um from people i don't know so that's always that's helpful because you know i know people want to be nice to me and say nice things about the book but I, i it's important to me that i get sort of more impartial uh, reviews from others. So it's, it's, it's being well-received and I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. How do you feel like your family will embrace it? Well, I'm super excited because my aunt, who is my, uh, dad's youngest sister, um, she struggled initially because I think she wasn't sure I was going to actually go forward and get this book out. And, and she didn't want to read it initially. And I finally said, you know, maybe you want to. And and she she asked, am I going to be embarrassed? And I said, I don't think so. I, you know, I that was never my intent. And now at the grand old age of almost 86, um, she is going to be my partner in promotion in San Diego because oh. she lives in San Diego and San Diego was where my dad's family lived during the time that my grandfather was um, doing his rehab in Fort Worth, Texas. So um, I've got a few events starting to come together in San Diego, and I'm actually going out uh, next week to meet some people and and just um, kind of embrace that aspect of the book. So she's right on board. She's right on board. Um, Yeah. And uh, as far as my brother, he's seen the manuscript. I don't hear from him, so I have no idea. And my mother doesn't know anything about it. So there you go. She might at some day, at some point, but as of now, she doesn't. So All right. Well, you know what? Shout out to all of our families, because no matter what side of the story they're on, whether they're a good retelling or part of a trauma or whatever, it has got to be difficult to have a writer in the family. And I, yep. I try to put myself in their position. And I was very lucky that a lot of my family was over the moon excited about me publishing some very difficult truths. And sometimes it was embarrassing, right. depending on your generation, right. uh, you may take on the shame of what happened in your past. And so it feels really personal to have it exposed, but it's just hard. I you know, know somebody else who wrote a memoir about a family that I know very well and just felt so bad for them. So I, I do appreciate that it's difficult to have our stories told when you know you're part of the story, but you're not the teller. And it's okay. It's okay. So I think I just froze you or you froze. Uh, your internet is a little uh, spotty. There you are, but I I can see you. I just don't see your lips moving. But I'm so excited about your aunt uh, embracing it and being your co-publicist in a sense. I mean, as a writer, it's always it's your job to be your best publicist, but to have a family member with you by your side 
And I feel like I am so grateful to have some supportive family like that. I just, you know, pinch me. It's wonderful. So good for you. And one more thing about my aunt through her, I feel like my dad is still with me because I, I think he would be very proud of this. Yes. Um, his perspective might be a little bit different, especially as it relates to my mother. But, um, again, I think he would, he would be super proud of me. And so I get to sort of have that from my aunt who's, you know, his sister. So it's kind of the next best thing. I think it's wonderful. If there's something, when you write about someone, you keep them alive forever in a way. But I think the most important thing is that you're proud of you. And I hope you are. You have every reason to be. And I'm excited for you. Congratulations. And thank Thank you you so much. So much for today. Hold on and I will pause the video. Okay. Thank you. Hold on. Okay. I have to say, I enjoyed Debbie so much. Debbie Russell, it was just such a gracious guest. It's fun to have seen someone through the whole journey of book in progress. Who do I publish with? Now it's coming out. It is pretty exciting. I wish I could do that more. I wish I had more time on my schedule that I could respond like I was able to back when Debbie wrote me. Um, Because I have a lot of writers now who write me and I'm doing too many different jobs to be able to be a part of that. It's just delightful though. And I think one of the things I hope you as an amazing listener slash viewer will take away is it's really possible to work an exceptionally stressful job like her being a prosecutor, but finding that second job, I wouldn't even call it a hobby. I would call it a second job. Finding that second job of that has creativity in it, or it's just a release for you. If you're not somebody who likes writing, maybe it would be something like playing pickleball or um, paddleboarding or, you know, tapestry of some sort, glass art. What is it? Blown glass. Whatever your thing is, finding something that is a creative outlet can help you not only learn to appreciate the job that doesn't fulfill you in every way, but give you something exciting to retire to or enjoy that next life chapter with and puts you in community with other people that you might not have ever guessed that you love keeping company with. So it's very much a joy to have Debbie and to see her exciting journey And I hope you have a fabulous week. Again, I'll put my Patreon link in case you want to join me for getting started writing and or any of the library that's coming to pass on Patreon. Have a wonderful week. Happy early summer or almost summer. And I will see you next week. More than 100 episodes now on the backlist. Some are on YouTube. Many are not. Enjoy listening to it while you get your exercise or do your home chores or whatever. And I love hearing from you. Thanks so much in advance for follows or reviews online of the podcast. I will see you next time. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, 
go ahead and subscribe, and I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.